John chapter 18, reading verses 1 to 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often resorted there with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he, and Judas also, who betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of them, whom thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's ear, high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Shall we pray together? Loving Father, as we come to this passage, we know it is a time of great turmoil for our Savior. And we sense, Lord, how difficult that it must have been for the Lord as well as for the disciples to face this moment which had come upon him, the hour of his betrayal and ultimately to be taken and crucified. Father, we do pray that you will open our hearts to these things, that we may see these things and understand more clearly how that you would have us to know them and that your spirit should teach it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage this afternoon, uh, only taking the first 11 verses and looking at the rest of it uh, another time, um, we pray that the Lord will show us some things concerning uh, this uh, very pitiful, uh, pivotal moment for the disciples. First of all, I've titled it A Kiss of Deception, for we do know that it was a betrayal and at the same time it was a deception. Uh, that uh, Judas would betray the Lord and deceive him. Um, not that the Lord did not know that these things would come to pass, but uh, the very act of which he carried out was uh, perpetrated in a way to deceive. Uh, first of all, Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane, and we find that this particular place was a place of prayer for the Lord, a place where uh, he often went, and it seems that um, Judas, of course, knew it, and the disciples were well acquainted with this place. 
but uh, if Judas was going to betray the Lord, then he would have to uh, inform others where Jesus would be. And that meant uh, that he would have to bring them there uh, at that time. And so we, but we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, a, a garden of prayer uh, and uh, of solitude when this uh, takes place. Secondly, um, Judas comes from the high priest with a band of soldiers. Um, no doubt he had um, the officers of the high priest uh, there with him, but also there was a band considered to be a band of other men who would be also carrying swords and various uh, weapons of, uh, uh, to capture the Lord Jesus. And uh, that these, uh, probably there were Roman soldiers uh, amidst this group of people, as well as the temple uh, guards and officers who would have been uh, there as well. And of course they came to capture Jesus, but as we will see in the narrative, um, Jesus gave himself willingly into their hands. They did not capture him, but rather he gave himself up to them. Uh, willingly, because he knew it was the hour of uh, th- that the Lord had uh, sent him into the world to fulfill that very moment. Uh, thirdly, Jesus said, "I am He." Um, you'll notice that uh, the "I am" is in the in the the scripture, where the "He" is a supplied word, but at the same time. Uh, it, this is a powerful statement concerning the Lord wherever it, it does say or recognize the Lord as the I am. And of course the I am is God, uh, that he is God. And uh, whether the full intent of this statement is meant to bring that out, certainly the implication is strongly there. In fact, we find that um, it had a very strong impact upon the soldiers and the officers and Judas and everybody that was there, um, as, as we see in the narrative. Which uh, brings us to um, the second, uh, the, rather the third uh, statement here. When Jesus spoke, they all fell backward. And so, um, in other words, it, it appears that God, uh, when he spoke, when Jesus actually spoke, he cast them back away from the Lord. We might consider that when somebody comes to capture someone else, they, they push forward or they, they want to lunge forward to grab the person who is uh, in their clutches, you might say. Uh, but here we find the opposite becomes uh, clear, that they cannot lunge forward, but rather they are forced backward. And uh, this only shows not only the, the fact that Jesus was in control of the situation, but was, had willingly placed himself in their grasp. And uh, though this was probably con- would be considered a miracle by our standards of things, uh, yet we find it did not deter them from what they had intended to do. Um, unlike... Uh, you know, perhaps at other time, you, one, might, one might be shocked at such a thing happening to you. They did not seem to, it did not seem to register that way with them. 
which tells us something about the evilness of their intent and of their own hearts. And so we'll look at these uh, four areas here uh, this afternoon. And so first of all, as we look at verse 1 and 2, Jesus comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, now of course that first statement has to do with the with the chapter 17, after he had completed making that uh, high priestly prayer or statement unto the disciples. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron. Now the brook Kidron was in, was in the region of the Mount of Olives and it is, was considered to be a kind of a valley or an area that was um, uh, kind of the topography was kind of a sunken in, in the hillside. And you, you might say it was a, a secluded spot. Um, and a, a quiet spot, a secluded spot. And of course, Jesus had found himself in prayer many times coming to this particular place. In fact, in Matthew 26 and verse 44, we find that Jesus resorted there and he prayed three times. And this was the incident where uh, the disciples fell asleep uh, in, when, while he was in prayer. Um, and uh, But so it was a place that uh, it was well known uh, to the Lord, to the disciples, and so again, it was well known to uh, Judas as well. And so they, they went to the valley of Kidron, and uh, even the name itself is described uh, in its meaning as a somewhat uh, darkened area. Uh, and so this, uh, this brook Kidron ran through this region, and I suppose wherever there is a brook running, uh, we find... It, it is also uh, wet and damp and and perhaps uh, even the water itself being swollen at various times would would cut a a deeper ravine into the into the area um, and so this whole thing was kind of a dark and a garden area, what we would call perhaps a grove and uh, perhaps also um, a place of lush green uh, trees and and so forth as well. And uh, he says, to into which he entered and his disciples. And so they, they went over the brook Kidron into this valley area and they entered into this place that they might have uh, some solitude. Of course, the disciples were not fully aware of what was going to take place. Uh, but yet we are. Uh, aware of it because of the narrative, and of course Jesus was well aware of it because he knew what was uh, what was to come uh, into the hearts of people uh, and uh, why they wanted to take him and so this place of prayer became a place of turmoil for the for the disciples and isn 't it interesting that sometimes our places of prayer do become a place of turmoil? Sometimes we go into uh, a time of prayer and we're in anguish because of different things that are going on in our own lives. And uh, we find ourselves uh, uh, wondering uh, how the Lord might answer something. We find us uh, asking questions of the Lord. We find that we often bring into our time of prayer uh, some uneasiness of being unsettled and uh, 
and even in a sense dark and gloomy. I mean, how many times have we entered into the prayer, into prayer when we are somewhat depressed or discouraged or, or, or needing some great help? Uh, here we find that the Lord goes into this place of prayer and it becomes uh, an hour of great tribulation for him. In fact, it is the prelude, it is the prelude to great sorrows that would come upon him. Uh, he would be, of course, captured, he would be taken away, uh, he would be cruelly treated, uh, he would be tried unfairly, uh, he would be persecuted, uh, tormented, uh, he would suffer. Uh, and and he would uh, stand before others and be ridiculed. He would go through a time of great humility. Uh, he would find himself uh, pressured and uh, want, made to try to. Tr people would try to make him say things that he that he would not say uh, and could not say. And uh, yet, uh, in the end, it meant he would just have more of the same and uh, a great deal more suffering. Uh, wherein they would end up scourging him and, of course, ultimately taking him uh, to Golgotha, there to be crucified as as a criminal. Uh, so this was the this was a dark and gloomy place um, uh, at this particular time. As prayer often is a place where we go to and resort for solitude and try to find comfort and try to find hope in the midst of our difficulties. And uh, here is Jesus. He goes to this place of prayer which leads him further into the sufferings of death on our behalf. And so in verse uh, 1 here, we find that the stage is set. And uh, so Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. Secondly, here Judas comes from the high priest with a band of soldiers. Now Judas, I suppose we might call him a, a sinister character in this particular uh, scene as we see this. And Judas also, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often resorted there with his disciples. And so here is Judas. Uh, he knows where Jesus would be. He knows where he would be. He knows where the disciples would be. He knows the favorite place, if you will, um, that uh, uh, his, uh, his friends, so-called, would, uh, would go to. And so G Judas was, um, was plotting in the background. He is a sinister character in the, in the, uh, the whole uh, working out of these things. And he knew what was uh, where the Lord would go and where the disciples would be. Je Jesus often resorted there with his disciples. And so, um, as much as the high priest and the various officers of the, of the court of the temple, or even the Roman soldiers, did not know where Jesus would be, remember Judas was on the, on the inside. And he was on the inside, and so he did know. And, and so for him, um, it became uh, a, not only a sense of betrayal, but a sense of deception as he would uh, come. And he would deceive Jesus as well as he would plot against the Lord and prove himself to be unfaithful, unloyal, 
and he would not prove himself to be as a true disciple of Christ at all, but rather a betrayer. So Judas, Judas also, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus often resorted there with his disciples. And as I mentioned to you in Matthew 26 and verse 44, um, the, the, the Lord went there with his disciples and he prayed in, that, in the garden of, of Gethsemane and he, he agonized over those things that were to come and the sufferings that would take place. And he sought some kind of consolation that the disciples were there with him and might even pray with him while he was uh, by himself praying in anguish. Um, But they went to sleep. Uh, And so this was that place uh, where they often resorted to. Uh, In verse 3, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers, from the chief priests and Pharisees cometh there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so as this uh, second group of people reveal themselves, Judas now, now gathering together these, um, these men, these officers the, from the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, and they come, they have lanterns, they have torches, they have weapons. And so it was dark. It was um, it was at night. It was not in the broad daylight. Many times, of course, Jesus found himself in broad daylight with these same people around him. Uh, but because the multitude of the people was there, because the situation would not lend uh, itself to capture the, the Lord Jesus, and it was not his hour of, betray- of betrayal, if you will, Uh, The hour had not yet come. They could not lay hands on him. But they come now with Judas. Judas leads them uh, unto the Lord. Here is the the disciples. They're like a group of sheep. And Jesus is the shepherd. And here comes the wolf. Uh, He is is Judas. And so he comes and he's stalking the Lord and uh, the disciples. And he comes as a predator to capture the Lord Jesus. And they come with uh, whatever they need, torches and lanterns and, yes, weapons as well. Um, And so we can imagine that uh, they were ready to fight, thinking perhaps, well, the disciples are going to to do something, that they might want to uh, protect the Lord, uh, their master, their teacher. And uh, but we find that Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing their hearts, was ready and anticipated that they would come. And that is what we see in verse four. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, "Whom seek ye?" So. As I said earlier, we find usually a group of people that are are there to perpetrate some kind of capture on a criminal. Uh, They come, they're not only ready to do do battle if necessary or to confront the criminal, but they they are the ones who who are the ones who step forward first and and, uh, and want to uh, get this person. But this is not the case. Here is Jesus sees them coming, and he is the one who steps forward. 
He is the one that knows what is in their hearts. He is the one that realizes that this particular moment in time is one that he must confront head on. And so what does he do? He asks them, who do you seek? Now this would also imply to us that they didn't know, apart from Judas naturally, that Jesus was the person in front of them. And uh, of course Judas knew this. Um, Perhaps the others uh, were not exactly sure. Uh, They came into the scene realizing that the disciples were there, so Jesus must be there. But Jesus is the one who steps out of the crowd, if you will. He steps into the arena of the band of soldiers and he says to them, Whom seek ye? Who do you seek? And uh, so they answered him in verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth. uh, Jesus saith unto them, I am, and we can just stop it right there, you don't have to put the he in because that is a supplied word, I am, and Judas also who betrayed him stood with them. So here is Jesus, he comes into the midst of the group uh, and is and is confronting them. Uh, he says, who do you seek? And uh, <clears throat> then he says, um, they ask him, uh, is, uh, who, where is Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. I am Jesus of Nazareth, as much as to say, I am. And Judas was, was right there in that group of people. And he stood with that group of people. And as soon as uh, he had said that unto them, I am he, immediately they fell back. They fell back. Now, I'm not sure how much we need to make of that. But I do know this. That it it tells us immediately that this group could do nothing unless the Lord allowed them to do it. Because as I said to you earlier, usually when a group of officers or soldiers or those who are trying to capture a person, they're the ones who step forward. They're the ones who lunge at the person and grab the person or somehow want to detain that individual. But in this particular case, God would not allow that. In other words, Jesus could not be taken by anyone. He had to freely give himself up to them. And so they were cast back uh, at this very moment. They were cast back. Now whether they uh, fell um, uh, immediately to the ground, it seems to indicate that they did. They went backward and fell to the ground. They, they became incapacitated, you might say, as a group. They were off their guard. They could, not, they could not lay hand on him. They could not lay a hand on him. Um, I suppose we, we've all seen various kinds of riot situations or, or criminal cases on television or something. And um, the ones who are capturing somebody else are the ones who are in control. They're the ones that have all the advantage. Because they have the weapons and everything to do with and the the might to, to, to capture the person. But in this particular case it is not true. They could not capture Jesus. 
Jesus came for this hour that he might show himself to be the Son of God, to be God. And the I am does imply that to us, especially in this particular sense. It's, it, though we might say, well, maybe it's just another way of saying, it is I you're looking for, but it's much more than that uh, because of the obvious uh, activity that took place, uh, the fact that these soldiers uh, that came to capture him were not in control, but rather they became prostrate on the ground. They came fully uh, un unhinged. They were, they were no longer in control. Their weapons were not useful. They were not even standing on their feet. <laughs> they were on the ground in front of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus was the one uh, who had them uh, at his disposal. And so we find that as the Son of God came to reveal himself in this in this way and to reveal himself we find that even at this most critical moment he proved himself to be the son of God by the very things that took place and he showed himself to be the one who would voluntarily give himself up to that moment and that they could not take him except uh, that he would allow them to do so and so Jesus uh, Jesus speaks and they fall. It says in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4 that by the mouth of God, that judgment, or by the word of the mouth of God, that judgment would fall upon uh, the people. And we find that concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, in the, in the end time activity, when at the end of the age, what does, what does God do? Uh, God sends His Son, and by the word of His mouth, like a sharp sword, the word of God goes forth and it judges mankind. It judges mankind. And here is Jesus again. He, he speaks by the word of his mouth, simply saying, I am, I am, and immediately these men, all these men, are cast to the ground and they are without strength. Even though they have swords and lanterns and torches and everything else that they might uh, perpetrate themselves upon the Lord, they are without strength because Jesus has spoken the word. He has spoken the word. And so that tells us something very important. That though this deception was at hand, yet we find that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in control, though this deception and betrayal was, was very much a part of the moment that was transpiring. Uh, so the true fulfillment of this uh, prophecy, um, in a sense, with, under this idea of deception, is described in another place in the Bible. Uh, in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2.8, it tells about a deception that is coming upon the world. Uh, and that deception, of course, is by the wicked one, the evil one. It says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one, or wicked, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume 
with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so here again, Jesus will speak. He will speak and he will destroy the works of the wicked one in the brightness of his coming at that time. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. All deceivableness. He's, see, this deception, this deception will also be perpetrated at the end of the age. Here is a deception that is against the Lord uh, that he might be crucified. And of course, who is behind it? The, the wicked one, the evil one. Satan desires this deception. And Judas was being used. In fact, Judas is called the son of perdition because he allowed himself to be uh, manipulated in this manner. And at the end of the age, the, 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 the man of perdition, if you will, Satan himself, that evil, that wicked one, will come with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and he will come and he will try to perpetrate his work. But God... Jesus Christ himself will speak um, the words of his mouth and he will bring judgment against that wicked one. He'll bring judgment against that wicked one. And so this deception that we um, talk about here in this particular account is one later which is perpetrated again by the evil one, by the wicked one, who is Satan himself, and it will be at the end of the age. But just as Jesus spoke here and, uh, and thwarted their efforts to capture him, uh, at the same time, at the end of the age, it will be the same. God will speak and uh, the judgment will fall upon the evil one, the wicked one. And upon his... Uh, uh, evil de desires to overtake the world. And as I said, uh, though they came with swords and staves and, uh, to, uh, to capture Jesus, they did not capture him. Jesus voluntarily put himself in what we would call harm's way. He, he, put, he voluntarily put himself in that place. Now we recall in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53 that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of his peace was upon us, by his stripes we are healed. And it even describes it in, there in that sense that he was taken, Jesus was taken, like a lamb before the slaughter he was taken. And we, we know that a lamb doesn't do anything to, to protect itself. It is vulnerable, very vulnerable. And Jesus made himself vulnerable, that he might become known as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, you see. Jesus made himself vulnerable. They didn't take Jesus. Jesus gave himself up into their hands, that he might fulfill the very word of God. And so, um, here in verse 7, um, Then asked he them again, Jesus speaking, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 8, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. I am. 
If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. And so in this particular case, he's saying, oh, you don't have anything to, these others, these disciples don't have anything to do with this. It's just between you and me. He says, let these go their way. Let these disciples go. Um, and uh, at that particular time, their, their main emphasis, of course, was to capture Jesus. And just as the word of God was meant to be fulfilled, Jesus says, said this in that particular case, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of them, whom thou gavest me, have I lost none. Now, of course, we know that this idea of Jesus losing none has more to do with the spiritual meaning the salvation meaning that it has to do with the physical meaning. Of course, the disciples would be let go at that particular time, but then later on, each one of them would suffer um, martyrdom except for John himself, who seemed to have escaped martyrdom only uh, to die more of a natural causes. He was the beloved of Christ in the sense that he was very close to Jesus. But we find here that, that uh, these, um, even at this particular moment, uh, this was part of the fulfillment of the word of God. Spiritually, none of his disciples would be lost. None of them. None of the true disciples would be lost. Judas was lost because he was the son of perdition. And remember, he is a... He is a um, a betrayer. He is a, a deceiver. Um, he is a wolf in sheep's clothing, you might say. Uh, he was among the group, but he was not a sheep. He was not a true disciple of Christ. He, he never said that he was a true disciple of Christ. We never see him uh, being talked about in any way except in this particular manner to which he became this deceiver. Uh, and even in this very small group at this particular time, the wheat and the tares become evident. Judas was evidently, you know, a tear. He was, he was not a true wheat, if you will. He was not a true disciple. But the other disciples, of course, were true to the Lord Jesus. And they did follow him and did believe in him to the fullest. And so Jesus uh, told them... Uh, do not touch these others. They have nothing to do with this. I am the one you seek. I am he. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And their, their immediate concern, of course, was uh, with Jesus. And so we find that Jesus is, uh, compels them to uh, put all their attention upon him rather than upon those who followed him. In verse uh, 10, uh, we find this particular addition, of course, that uh, becomes, I suppose, quite well known to us as we think about trying to defend the Lord. Uh, maybe, you know, we would try to defend Jesus. Um, but in every sense of the word, we don't need to defend Jesus. We don't, we don't need to go uh, in, in, a, in the same sense as... In other words, we don't need to become militant. We don't need to become uh, carriers of weapons for Jesus. We don't need to think that we have to somehow 
perpetrate a war for Jesus or any kind of thing like that. Um, this particular account, I think, is important for us to take note of. Jesus does not commend Peter for his actions. He does not commend Peter. And so as we see here at uh, verse 10 and 11, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Now, no doubt he was aiming for his head, but missed it and just got his ear. <laughs> uh, well, maybe even the high priest's servant, he might have had some kind of a, a helmet on his head. He might have. Uh, but what if, whatever, uh, when, when Peter made a swing with his sword, it was no doubt a short sword, probably similar to the Roman short two-edged sword, similar to that. And he took a swing at the, at the servant, and uh, he must have been right there, at, at, right there in his face, so to speak. And uh, Peter was probably right there as well. And he took a swing, and uh, he got his ear. He chopped off his ear. Um, but we note that Jesus doesn't commend him for this. The servant's name was Malchus, so he, we, we got his name. Uh, then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword. Put up your sword in its sheath. You know, he's kind of perturbed at Peter. He says, Put up your sword. What are you doing? He says, The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Um... And uh, so he he uh, he chides him, saying, "What you know? What in the world are you doing, Peter? Uh, here I've been going through my whole ministry to come to this point and to fulfill the Father's will and to drink that cup of suffering, to die for the sins of the world. And you think you're going to defend me with a sword? You think you can stop this whole thing with a sword? And remember, Jesus just spoke a minute earlier, and they all fell on the ground." And they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. They lost all their footing. He could have run away at that point, if you follow me, you know. He could have just stepped off into the dark. I mean, they had swords and lanterns and torches, and, and, um, and Jesus could very easily just kind of bolted right out of the scene if he had wanted to. But he didn't want to, of course. And Peter thought he was going to save the day. I think it tells us that we can't save the day for Jesus. We, we, we can't do it. Um, you know, there's been, of course, the churches, sometimes the, the, the so-called Christian church has tried to do this sort of thing, you know. Um, well, you know, of course, there's a big story about the crusade, you know, in Jerusalem. And, and then, of course, uh, the church of Rome, uh, after the periods of the... Uh, Constantine and and after them, of course, we find that the the Roman Church becomes a great persecutor of everybody. Anybody that didn't agree with them, they become a persecutor. Right up until the 15th century, when uh, 14th century, when then Martin Luther comes along and and uh, the Reformation begins and so forth, we find that the church the church has has been a persecutor at times. And it's a sad tale, you know, that people think that they can draw swords and make people uh, comply and some, somehow defend the church. Well, this, remember, this, is, this little band of men called disciples were to be um, 
those who were sent out, apostles that would lead the church into the first century. And they were not going to do it by the sword of a weapon, but by the sword of the Spirit were they to go forward. By the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That was to be their weapon. Uh, and, and Peter begins, you know, he thinking he is going to... And, and this is, seems typical of Peter, doesn't it? I mean, he's, he's so impetuous. Um, and maybe, you know, we in some way find ourselves um, thinking that we might do similar at times when he doesn't uh, require us to do that. God does not require us to be that kind of a soldier. Soldiers of the cross, onward Christian soldiers, these are those who go to battle in, by prayer and by faith, but not with swords or guns or any other kinds of weapons um, to defend the Lord. No, the Lord has won the day already. The Lord is one. He went to the cross. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he there makes intercession for us. And our true kingdom is not of this world, but is of, of, of that which is to come. And, and so we find that uh, Peter was, was not praised for his momentarily impromptu great effort to to um, uh, sever an ear from from uh, the high priest servant but what does Jesus do in greatest compassion he is the one who heals the high priest servant rather than uh, than let him bleed Jesus heals his, his ear immediately um, and so um, we find that uh, verse 12 then the band and the captain and the officers um, of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away and so forth. Um, but we find that Jesus meant for this to take place. He meant for it to take place. Another interesting point that we should bring out, you would think, you would think that since Jesus uh, said that he is the I am, and since uh, God seemed to knock them all off their feet and throw them back on the ground, and that must you would think that that must have had some kind of an impact upon them, including Judas. But then Judas witnessed many miracles, and it did not seem to have much of an effect upon him either. Uh, you would think that these, uh, these men would have been deterred from their aggression toward Christ. But we find that they, they weren't. They weren't. In fact, um, it appears that they were given over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind. Now we find in another place this idea of wicked men being given over to a reprobate mind. In Romans 1.28 it says this, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind. And of course the idea of being reprobate here is, uh, it really means that someone who is 
uh, not approved of in the things that they do. And, of course, it has to do with these, the evil which they perpetrate. And so the reprobateness of the mind uh, seems to be depraved. Depraved. Here were these soldiers, they, they were affected by the words of Jesus, they were even so much that they were thrown to the ground, and yet they remained reprobate in their mind. They, remain, they still remain depraved in their mind. <clears throat> and of course the mind and the heart are closely connected, aren't they? We typically use them kind of interchangeably. Um, they were not changed spiritually because they were cast down to the ground by the word of Christ, by the word of God. You may remember another particular case where um, there was a certain man who was not only uh, was reprobate in his mind, but he died and he went to to Hades. And um, one of his more lonely uh, servants who ate from his table um, died and he went to Abraham's bosom. Now this lonely man who ate the crumbs under the table of this, of this wealthier reprobate man, um, there's quite a contrast between the two. Um, you know, he pled and said, oh, if, if you'd only send uh, somebody back to my, my relatives and tell them um, about this place and of the torment of it, um, surely they would, they would believe in God. And the answer was no. They won't believe in God. They have the law and the prophets. They would not believe even if an angel of God went to them and told them. In other words, if God did something supernatural, Jesus spoke and this band of group fell on the ground. If God did something supernatural, they still would not believe. Reprobate, a reprobate mind does not believe even though they see supernatural things take place. Now, of course, it isn't our place to say who's reprobate and who isn't. That's not what I'm trying to get to here. What I'm trying to get at is this. That the heart and the mind of man must be changed by God. It must be changed by God. Even a supernatural event will not change the heart of a person. God must do it. God is the only one who can affect salvation upon the heart of anybody. Though a miracle happened right in front of somebody, you say, surely they're going to believe if they see this miracle. But they don't. Only God can change the heart. Only God, who, who is the, the true means of salvation, can change the heart. And so we find these reprobate people this band of people, even Judas himself, who was reprobate, he was not affected by the words of Jesus, nor of the activities of the place. They, as soon as they got up off the ground, and Jesus identified himself again, that he is Jesus of Nazareth, he allowed them to take him and to carry him off to be tried 
and to fulfill the suffering which he was to go through on our behalf. And so there is quite a bit here in this passage that, that will help us to see more clearly that Jesus, Jesus uh, became the Lamb of God and willingly gave himself up to this suffering that he might be known as the suffering Savior. The true, the true Son of God, the true Lamb of God, the one who would die for our sins and become victorious over sin and death. A kiss of deception was in Judas's heart, but Jesus knew right well what was happening. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do ask that you will bring these things to our attention and remind us more clearly of the true plight of Christ and that he designed to fulfill this very time and that he would not let Judas or anybody else, even this band of soldiers, get in the way of it. He would not even allow one of his own disciples, whom he loved, get in the way of that moment. But he fulfilled that very moment that he might be taken and that he might fulfill the will of God the will of the Father, that he would be known as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy and your love to us, the saving grace which you dispense according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.